Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, Mets Up listeners, we're back. Episode number 39 of the Mets Up podcast. Boy, oh boy, if you thought last episode was bad, buckle up, get ready, because it's going to get real bad today. It is ugly. It is disgusting. It is deplorable. It is disrespectful. It is every bad word and negative thing that you could think of right now. Putrid. Putrid. Putrid's another one. It's bad in New York Mets world. It is terrible. I'm not feeling great. Literally, like not feeling great and emotionally not feeling great, mentally not feeling great. We had a grueling day yesterday of a scavenger hunt in New York City followed by a night out on the town that ended very late with everyone not feeling great this morning. And then we also had to watch the absolute disgrace, the absolute shit show that was the New York Mets this weekend. Abomination abomination playing against the Philadelphia Phillies in a three-game series for first place and the Mets got swept so me and James are going to of course talk through this series very briefly because really at the end of the day I think it's more about the narratives of this series there's not many highlights the Mets got stomped the Mets got curb stomped they looked terrible probably the worst baseball they've played all year long which is saying something because they actually pitched kind of well But the offense has been non-existent again. This has been an issue all year long. It got magnified even more in this Philadelphia series. So we're going to talk about everything New York Mets. We've got a lot of topics to hit here. Of course, if you guys want to watch along, instead of listen to the podcast, YouTube, Mets Up Podcast, so we're going to have all the uploads of the video forms. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find us. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Mets Up. Make sure you follow James as well on Twitter, at Jeter Had No Range, me, Giraffe Neck Mark. That's where I'm going to bring in James, because I think I can't lament enough on how frustrated I am from this series. No, there's basically nothing to pull from this series that's even interesting enough to talk about in the format we usually do on this show. Generally, we'll break down game by game for you guys, kind of what we've done. We kind of like doing that a lot. We're not doing that today. We're going to try something different, because we just have a lot of Mets things to talk about, and I don't want to relive these last three games. Mark doesn't want to relive these games. And I know you guys at home do not want to relive these three games. And on top of that, as Mark said, we're tired today. We set up a, I set up a scavenger hunt yesterday for a big group of friends. We had a hell of a time doing it. A lot of laughs, a lot of fun, a lot of really stupid embarrassment, lots of alcohol on top of that. <laughs> and it's a slow day. It's a really slow day. And the Mets losing three games is only compounded on our, uh, I don't know, on our despair. Yeah, I mean, it was just bad. It was bad. I didn't even watch a lot of these games because I was just kind of disgusted with how the team's been playing. I don't want to spend my time, which is valuable, watching something that's not redeemable. Like, especially ending today with 20, what, 23 consecutive Mets being retired between a Brandon Nimmo leadoff double and a Michael Conforto eighth or ninth inning walk. This shit's fucking performance art. Like, this is goddamn Shakespearean. We're watching a tragedy unfold before our eyes. And the fact that it was like Zach Wheeler to do it. Like, I posted the Grim Reaper meme on Twitter because that's kind of what it felt like today. It felt like we were absolutely killed. And um, I don't even, like, brutally murdered on national television. In- it's inconceivable not to have a base runner for seven innings. It doesn't make sense in the modern modern lay of baseball. Two hits. And you know who they were by? Who? Brandon friggin' Nimmo. Yeah, the only guy in his team who could hit. And all this is going on while the Marlins, who just took three or four from us, get annihilated by the the Colorado Rockies in a weekend series. One of the worst teams in baseball just literally kicked the piss out of them for three consecutive games. Only sheds light onto how actually bad this Mets team is right now. They can't do anything right. Well, they can. They can pitch still. They are pitching well. Seem is pitching well. But at the plate, this is reminiscent of we're going to like those late 2000s, early 2010s teams where you're throwing out Mike Baxter and Mm -hmm. Omir Santos, and Omar Quintanilla. And the difference is, 
We don't have those players. No. We have actual, well, what we thought were competent baseball players who are just really, really going through it right now. I, It's crazy how bad this team has played to get just embarrassed like we did from the Phillies this weekend, to get embarrassed by the Marlins, play like crap against the Reds. The Brave series before that too. Yeah, the Brave series. It's starting to become really tiring that this team has truly been a roller coaster all year. We've had a roller coaster of events going on. But it seems like we are uh, kind of at the end here, and it's not going to go back up anytime soon. This is the drop. If any of our listeners have ever been to Great Adventure, this is like that big, massive drop at the end of Nitro, at the beginning of Nitro, beginning of Nitro. You just keep going down. It feels like it's going for a really long time. And on a roller coaster, it's thrilling, but this is not thrilling. And I truly don't know if this can get any better in the near future. I'm not confident. And I think this is the first time this year... We've, we've had some ups and downs. We said that. Yeah. But I think this is the first time I just don't believe in this team. I don't think we got it. I really don't. And I don't even know at this point if we're a playoff team. I really don't. I almost know for certain we're not a playoff team. Even if we do get into the playoffs at this point, that would be by the grace of God. Like um, something catastrophic would have to happen to either Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler to just make that team completely fall apart. And even if then the Braves, who are just like becoming competent, will just sneak by them too. Like we're all just 500 teams. I think we're all going to get there in different ways between the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies. Our floor that we thought was so high because of this offense that we expected to have is just completely non-existent. We have blown directly through our floor. And Anthony Tacomo had a great line today in his post-game column where he said, "Um, if this isn't, I hope this is rock bottom. Because it didn't feel like this team could get this bad only a couple of weeks ago. And now I'm praying it does not get worse. If it gets worse, I I don't know what I'm going to do. We could be 10 games under 500 on September 1st. It's very likely, especially with the series that we got coming up. Yeah, the Dodgers-Giants-Dodgers-Giants run, which is just the scariest thing I could possibly think about right now. The way this team's playing, it's conceivable that they don't win a single game in in that stretch. I think it's conceivable the Mets don't win another game the rest of August. Which is crazy. <laughs> the way we played this weekend, like, especially if Jacob DeGrom doesn't pitch, and we'll get to that in a second. We're timelining this entire episode with things that you guys asked us. I responded to the tweet today. So thank you, everyone, for the uh, engagement the messed up Twitter. But I-, I don't know if any of these pitchers can hold teams to zero runs. Like Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker did a good job of lim- limiting the Phillies to less than four runs. They both pitched very well this weekend. Same thing with Tyler McGill. I mean, not very well. He had a fine start. But we can't win a game with zero. It's impossible. It's never been done. You can't win if you don't score runs. It's the old adage. Everyone Mm -hmm. knows that. You got to score more runs than the team that you're playing to win. It's basic. It's obvious. But it seems like the Mets haven't figured that out. And this series was just, it was so bad. I can't believe how bad offensively this team has been. There's been so much talk. We were so excited about this team's offensive potential. And they have just completely shit the bed. Like, it's... There's no other way to describe it. Every single player, for the most part, has had the worst season of their career, it feels like. Mets Metrics on Twitter. Anyone out there who doesn't follow him, follow him. It's a great account. He posted a big stat today about how bad the Mets are against fastballs. And that's funny because the narrative for the last like, couple of months of our struggles have been Mets can't hit curveballs. And in reality, they really just kind of can't hit either. Like The Mets see the 12th most four-seam fastballs in baseball and have the 12th lowest Woba against them, which is like... I don't, that's pretty funny. They're both 12s. But like those are both basically league average. We're, we're whiffing more than league average on fastballs, and we're not hitting the balls hard, but it's still fine. We also just see the most curveballs and have the seventh lowest Woba. And really, when you're pointing out two pitches that a team specifically can't hit, all that means you just can't hit in general. Like It's hard to find a per-pitch stat that points to all the Mets struggles. Like, how can we fix this? Oh, no, we can't hit fastballs and curveballs. Oh, what the, what the fuck are you going to do then? What, what's yeah. next? I feel like everyone is trying to figure out that magic formula for what's wrong with the Mets and I think you put it really well they just can't hit that's really hit. it at no. some point the players have to play they have to step up they have to do this they have to do that every other team in baseball or not every other team but the good teams don't have these problems no definitely not and you mentioned how people are trying to like find like the antidote or like the lock and key to fix the Mets problems and that's why I really like Mike Petriello's article that dropped on Friday Would fantastic have been like, article fantastic yeah really article. great anyone out there who hasn't read it read it follow Mike on Twitter he's 
one of my favorite people who currently exists in baseball media, and I'm pretty positive he's a Mets fan, no? I don't think he's a Mets fan, but he's always been a guy who's very high on the Mets. Even last year, he was super high on them for projections and how he thought they were going to perform. This year, he thought that they were like one of the best teams in baseball. They had Mm -hmm. a potential to be a World Series contender, and it's not because he's this biased Mets fan. It's not because he's an idiot. There was actual reason to believe that. There was tons of evidence and hard data, and... In this article, Petriello used tons of evidence and hard data to really bring home a lot of the points that a lot of Mets fans, and specifically us, have been talking about like for months. And it's just the problem with this team hitting is none of the narrative bullshit that people are spewing every single day. It's not like it's not strikeouts, it's not swings and misses, it's not really struggling in runs and scoring position on a wider scale. In small scales, individual games, it does seem like that. But when you look at the whole thing, as of Friday morning, we had left the 21st most runners on base in all of baseball. And that's still a little bit skewed because we have still played slightly less games than most teams. But that's not this cataclysmic thing like we're leaving the most guys on base in baseball because that is how it seems this year. But we have these weird, quirky things that are just really bizarre and strange. We are actually going for the all-time record for fewest sacrifice flies in a season right now. That's a real sentence. The Mets are going for that. They have 12 so few i don't think they had one this weekend right no and i feel like honestly pete's gotta have 10 of those i feel like pete is the sack fly guy on this team i'm gonna look that up while you keep talking the record for lows in the season is 19 and that was by the san diego padres in 1971 in the third year of their existence as a franchise oh my god I want to read you some of the names off this team because these aren't really baseball players. And I'm not even convinced these are real people. Like, as the joke that we say all the time about the creator names. There's guys named Leron Lee, Johnny Jeter, Bob Johnny. Barton. Like, how, how could there be this much alliteration on one baseball team? There's not one redeemable baseball player from this team who ever had any kind of career after this dreadful season with the Padres. Ed Spezio, Enzo Hernandez, Tommy Dean. These are all fake people. Clay Kirby, Fred Norman. Like, who the fuck are these guys? Bob Miller? Bob Miller was on the San Diego Padres team that set the record. It's like there was an open tryout, and they were just like, all right, you sound good. It was their third year. I'm sure if we look at the Mets roster in 1965, it would have been like, who the fuck are these plumbers and electricians? That's that's what we're contending with here. I believe I saw something on Twitter. I'm not going to say exactly what the was, but the Mets offense this year is comparable to the 1962 Mets. Like, what the fuck is that's that? All you need to say. Historically, one of the worst teams to ever play the game. <laughs> Literally, and really what this Petriello article came down to is just the fact that a lot of the guys in this team just are not hitting. Like, Michael Conforto is having a shockingly bad season statistically. It took Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor and Dominic Smith and Pete Alonso to a lesser degree, but still a little bit, literally six weeks to even do anything. We averaged less than three runs a game in April. Those are yanking down all of our season-long numbers, and we've been league average-ish since, but these last two weeks have just been so, so awful that all of this is coming to light again. We thought the offense broke out leaving the second half. That last Sunday game at Pittsburgh and the series in Cincinnati, but we, we just can't fucking hit and like part of this also ties back into city field which petriello touched on it's one of the hardest places to hit in all of baseball actually in terms of Statcast park factor it is actually the hardest place in baseball to get a hit no it's it's tough to hit in city field but seemingly other teams don't have as much trouble as we do either so no, and we just spent this whole weekend at citizens bank park a known band box we couldn't do fucking anything there we could not do anything besides back-to-back-to-back home runs in a 5 nothing game yesterday. I think it's also worth noting that there has been a serious drought of home runs on this New York Mets team, which massive was expected not to be one of the top home run teams, I don't think by any means. But if you're not going to be this team that like sells into average, batting average, all that kind of stuff, because the Mets are like one of the worst in average as well. But there's no home runs even coming. Like Pete Alonso leads the team with 24. Do you know who's number two? I saw this on Twitter today, but I'm going to guess. It's got to be Lindor. It's Jonathan VR. Jonathan huh. VR has 12 home runs. You know who's third? Francisco Lindor with 11. Right. <laughs> and he hasn't played in three weeks. This team, it's like the the Monstars came in and sucked all the, the juice out of them. They are weak. They're not hitting the ball hard. Like you said, the, they're just not very good. And it it's really hard to figure out why. Dude, no one on the Mets has an offensive war higher than two. Oh, There's like over 60 players in baseball with a war higher than two. Miles Straw is... We're 2.4 wins above replacement right now. Mark Canha missed a month, and he's above that 2.0 line. Heimer fucking Candelario, your boy, would have the highest war of any position player in the Mets. And he plays in Comerica Park, which, which is, is no way worse. worse than City Field, except for everything except triples. 
because they have those cavernous alleys out there. And like, there isn't even any like positive regression coming. Like, or, like I've said this in the beginning of the year that our estimators were all out of whack and the balls were finding gloves because it, it was true then, the, the data bore that out. But that's not the case anymore. Our expected stats and our regular stats are like right there, spick and span. This is not bad luck. Balls are not finding gloves. We just actually can't hit. No, it's, it's a serious problem. And part of this problem too with the Mets offense is that we have a lot of guys that shouldn't be playing a lot and yeah. are getting played a lot. And I think that also comes into, you know, left on base, runners in scoring position. We're having to put guys in situations that shouldn't be there. And listen, Jonathan VR, second most in home runs, right? Great. He's actually yeah. been a nice little player for us, mm-hmm. but we don't want nice little players playing every single day. And it's he's playing so much. You know, there was a time in May when the Alar brothers were like, felt like they were saving us. And they were. They both had really great starts to the season. Johnny VR has been pretty good, and Kevin Pillar was until he broke his face, and he's really been completely lost since then. But holy shit, do those guys take up way too much of what the Mets do. Combined, Jonathan VR and Kevin Pillar account for 15% of all the Mets' plate appearances this season. So many. It's an exorbitant number for two guys who are barely Major League bats at this point. VR ahead of Pillar, of course, because Kevin Pillar is having one of the worst offensive seasons I've literally ever seen in my life. His WRC Plus is 70 on the entire season. It's around 50 since he broke his face. He's striking out a fourth of his at, of, in a fourth of his at bats. He only has the three percent walk rate to show for it. Oh my god! It's it's, shot, it's crazy. This guy's in the lineup every single day, and he can't hit the broadside of a barn right now. He can't do anything with the bat. He's an automatic out, like no questions about it. Well, yeah, and then when you like have those guys in the lineup, seemingly what feels like three or four times a week minimum that they're playing. And then you have the pitcher spot coming up. And then you have James McCann or Tomas Nito, who also couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. You're just giving away innings. The Mets are simply, they have innings where there's just no chance for anything to happen. Three out of the nine innings a game are gone offensively. Nothing is going to happen. You know it because of the guys that we have playing. We gave them a lot of credit for going out and getting depth during the offseason, which I still think they did right. The issue is now that those depth guys are no longer depth. They're becoming legitimate players. They're becoming starters. And you know that you can't rock with depth players at, at major positions because this is what happens. You give away games. You give away innings. Definitely. And this whole cold streak is starting to make me call the Mets offseason into question a little bit. Just like the fact that we couldn't just buy a bat. Steve Cohen has a lot of money, and it's very clear that Mets are reluctant to go past the luxury tax. But at some point, just why the fuck didn't they shell out cash for JT Realmuto or George Springer? Like, not that those contracts are going to age super gracefully, and this is probably a comment that I'll regret, like, even in as much as a month. But, God, if this team could just have, like, an actual all-star bat in the lineup, and these guys who we thought were good, who are really just actually semi-regulars, could just drop down a level, specifically, like, a Dom Smith or James McCann, everything would be so much different. Because I think guys like that have been... A little bit overestimated and we spent the offseason and the trade deadline kind of ensuring playing time for guys who maybe hadn't done enough to actually warrant 600 plate appearances like Don Smith especially when he plays one of the worst defensive left fields in, in baseball a lot of Met fans would like to tell you that Dom's improved in left field I don't really think so. He's pretty horrible out there. I test. It looks like he's improving because he makes more plays, but he just makes routine plays seem spectacular because he has not that much range. He doesn't have any instincts because he's a first baseman, and he doesn't really know how to get a jump on the ball because he's a first baseman. I don't know if this team could win a World Series with Dominic Smith, the left fielder, taking 600 plate appearances. No, we definitely overestimated Dom. We 1 million percent overestimated Michael Conforto. We saw the 50. We fought, saw the 54 game season last year. We're like, there he is. That's the guy. We forgot that that's a sample size that's way too small to take anything for, you know, seriously. If you look at Michael Conforto's career numbers, they're kind of just not that great, but they're not that bad. But you can kind of see why maybe we overestimated him a little bit, right? I mean, you take away like his absolute best year where he was nuts. And that's going to be like the 2017 939 OPS because he's just never really been that player. He's a guy whose OPS will hover in that 730, 740 range to about 800, 850 at the max. And boy, oh boy, he is just way worse than that. Like, I I don't know. We've been trying to figure it out for weeks, months. What is wrong with Michael Conforto? And I think the answer is he's just not that good. But he's not this bad. There's no way. Michael Conforto's not a below-league average hitter. Michael Conforto is. The cumulative of Michael Conforto when he's, like, working at his base, like, his medium outcome, that's still a very fine Major League Baseball player. But, like, all of the good batted ball luck he had last year is just all gone this year because he's still hitting the ball similarly hard. He's still making a similar amount of contact. It's just completely broken. He's a guy who still will regress to the mean. There just has to be, like, a three-week stretch where Michael Conforto at least hits, like, 
300. That'll probably happen. Maybe like four or five home runs in a month. He could do that the rest of the season, which would be more if you extrapolated that over an entire 162 game sample, it'd look more like what would have happened. But there's just no signs of that happening. And also, there's no guarantee that that would even help this team very much at the moment. No, because we're not scoring any runs. So Michael Conforto's one home run that he's going to hit every three weeks really probably not going to do much for us. We need this guy to actually be a good baseball player again. And I don't know when that's coming. It's probably, honestly, hate to be that guy, probably not ever coming again as a New York Met. No, probably not. There's going to be a question now whether he's even worth the qualifying offer because we have seen how cheaply you can acquire good bats for corner outfield spots year in and year out. Obviously, Garcia was free. He has 60 RBIs and 20 home runs. Kyle Schwarber was also basically free. We know what he can do. Eddie Rosario was basically free. He's a fine bat in the middle of the order. He's not an impact player, really, at this point in his career, but these are guys who are going to be available so cheaply. Not these guys exactly. Some of them will be because mostly they're actually all on one-year deals. Yeah, Jock, too. Yeah, Jock. These types of players are abundantly available. I don't know if it's worth even committing $18 million to Michael Conforto at this point. No, because I think he takes it. I think he does. I don't think he's going to get more than that. Like, if he wants a one-year deal, he might be able to get, like, a one-year 20 mil from a team that's like, we want a guy right now. We need that left-handed bat that's already in there and good. Mm -hmm. But if you're the Mets, that $18 million could actually go to some players that are really going to help you because there are needs that we would like to address. And I would rather spend that $18 million on keeping guys that are going to help us win. I don't know if Michael Conforto is that guy for us, especially when you've mentioned it a lot. Tommy Pham's available. Mm -hmm. Let's go spend 10 mil on Tommy Pham and call it a day. That's my whole point. There is an abundance of corner outfielders who are good. Good, not great, who are like fine in the outfield. Can't play center, but can just do a fine left or right. And I agree with you. If we're actually not going to blow through the luxury tax, which I wish that we would, and we've all like been edging, like, oh, Uncle Steve's going to blow through. It's going to be, it's all at once. Like, yada, yada. So I think it's kind of bullshit and that we're just going to sit right at the luxury tax for the foreseeable future, which means that $18 million will be a very big deal this offseason. I think I talked about this with you last night as well. The Mets, I think, also got a little bit scared off by the Dodgers. I think that acquisition of Mad Max and Trey Turner, now this is kind of moving into the trade deadline, but this also has to do with the construction of this team and how we're spending money. The Dodgers getting Scherzer and Turner almost seemed like it scared the Mets off a little bit there and that they didn't push as hard and they weren't trying to go crazy. Yeah, definitely, but I don't... Were we even talking about the trade deadline? We mentioned no, that the last two but, uh, episodes. No, but I'm just saying, like, it seems like the Mets, if they don't have to, are going to try their hardest not to go over the luxury tax. And I feel like the trade deadline was another inside look to that. Yeah, I'm talking more about the offseason. I felt like it would have been a baller move for Steve Cohen to just walk in, just sign all the biggest free agents and go through luxury tax because he could. I think we thought he was going to. It felt like he was thinking about it because they were talking about how they were going to build through free agency and not trades. And this team has only acquired good players via trade now since Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson took back over. And I don't know if that's like an issue with transparency or maybe the markets just developed differently. Maybe they shouldn't be telling us this many things. Steve continues to tweet. And I asked Mets fans today from the Mets Up Twitter how they feel about it. And I think people are still generally okay with his voice online. This was before Zach Wheeler um, bent us over. Yeah. So different vibe if I sent that after the game. But I don't know. This whole thing feels very weird now that this team is just completely completely falling apart like oh, I, yeah. I got no i got a notification today that jose martinez began a rehab assignment i just i blinked i was like is this a, is this a dream am i fever dreaming right now like how could this be a sentence in real life that jose martinez tore his meniscus he's like 50 years old in march he's gonna come back and try and help this team where's he gonna play the field he's not gonna play first base we're gonna bring him this team gets injured every three seconds we're gonna bring out jose martinez to this roster who literally doesn't have a position he could play on defense he's an exclusive pinch hitter In the Lord's year of 2021, how is that really going to help? I don't know, man. I don't know. And we didn't get any help either today because Javi Baez got hurt, and we don't Mm -hmm. even know what the fuck's going on there. He took a swing. It looked like his oblique. I saw a hip. Hip, hip, oblique, whatever it was. It was was a muscle. Mets, seemingly anybody who comes to this team in New York is going to pull some sort of muscle at some point. What was he here? A week and a half, and he got hurt in like three games? He's been hurt multiple times since he was traded for. I don't know what's going on with the training staff, but something, just like the Mets hitting, is clearly broken, and it needs to change. And Brian Chicklow, who, again, you should never know the head athletic trainer's name. (laughs) It's never good to know the athletic trainer of your Major League Baseball's team's name. The only other athletic trainer I've ever known was Ray Ramirez. Yes. And that guy was known because the same thing that's happening right now is happening or happened with Ray Ramirez. The Mets can't stop getting hurt. They keep missing big players. It's affecting their season. It's terrible. And Chicklo was part of the Ray Ramirez staff. So I don't know how this guy completely avoided getting his head chopped when Ray Ramirez was gone. 
I'm going to support your point while also boo-booing it. Because we the Mets have lost the most expected war just due to injury. That was another stat that Petriello flashed in his article. So it's clear that injuries and just a lot of our best hitters having disjointed seasons, not like McNeil comes to mind especially, that he was cold, then he was injured. Now it's taking a while to get back from that point to actually start hitting. It took Jeff McNeil like three months to actually hit. And he still can't but, run. Yeah, no, he still can't run. He doesn't even try to. That we, we, we missed out on a run that could have tied the game or given us a lead on Friday night because McNeil couldn't leg out a triple on a ball that caromed across the entire outfield. And then we lost out on one of our 12 fucking sack flies the next batter because he was on second instead of third. God, so annoying. But also, injuries are just abundant in baseball this year. Baseball's already set a record for soft tissue injuries in a single season. Derek Rhodes does great research on this on Twitter. Good follow if you're more into stats and data and things like that. I'm not going to bring Brian Ciccolo. The Dodgers have dealt with a rash of injuries. The Padres, the Yankees, all the good teams have also been hurt. They've just had pieces that continue to play well the whole time. That's something the Mets have lacked. Because the only piece that was was Pete Alonso, and he's over his last fucking 20. Or 22, whatever it is. He looks completely lost. I'm not worried because Pete will just do this once a month. He'll just forget how to hit for a week. And it's always like some stupid thing. Like he shaved his goatee and now he can't hit anymore. Or like the haircut or like a bat or a glove. He's just such a neurotic fucking dude. I I, I don't even know. It's just he caught the bug. I think Pete also is getting a little bit, feeling probably a little pressure on his shoulders. Being like, I got to be the guy to do something. And we've seen that with Pete in the past before. That like when he tries to do too much, he's really not good. It's not his game. He has to sit back, relax, do his breathing take his little check swings when he's warming up at the play. Like, he's got to be so loose, and that's what I loved about Pete, or still love him, but that's what I love about him is he's loose. He seems like the guy who keeps the dudes loose, mm-hmm. and it seems like right now, he's he's tight. He's tight. He's anxious. He's trying to make something happen, and that's just not his game. Definitely, but he still, like, is cerebral, and I just thought it was funny on Friday night because Kyle Gibson was working very fast in that game, and Stroman. Those guys are two, both fast workers, a lot of balls in play. Pete stepped out after every single pitch and all of his at-bats against Gibson, which was, I think, a little bit of gamesmanship. Yes, I like that. Yeah, it was also a little bit of, like, we need anything because we can't do anything. That's exactly what's happening with this team. No, can't do anything whatsoever. I think a huge part with this, too, why the team is struggling so much, Nolan Dor kills us. And that's probably a sentence that a lot of Met fans are shocked we're saying because of how Lindor had played this year. But as we know, right before he got hurt, we started to see what Francisco Lindor was going to look like for the next 10 years. And we're like, there he is. That's mm-hmm. the player hitting for the average, getting on base, OPS hovering above 800, playing gold glove defense like he has. And even though his numbers, you know, for the entire year don't look great, he was still so important for us in that two hole because he had competitive at bats. He played mm-hmm. great defense at shortstop. He is still an elite shortstop. Maybe he's dropping down your rankings, whatever it's going to be. But the fact of the matter is that this guy really does push our team forward to that next level. And you can kind of track when the Mets started slumping and stinking. To when Francisco Lindor is out of the lineup. And slumping and stinking from a wins and losses standpoint. It's not like an offensive production standpoint. And it's just, it's ironic as fuck because there are still Mets fans in my mentions, I'm sure yours, and the Mets up every single day who are like, yeah, we don't, even, we don't even need trash Lindor back. It's like, do you guys have any clue? Do you watch baseball? Do you understand what's happening on the screen? Or is there just like a switch in your brain that's flipped off every time you watch the Mets play? And he was just such a relaxing presence at shortstop and in that two hole that is so gone, just been sucked away from this team. And we need them so badly but it's gonna come to a point in the next couple of weeks where it's like is he even really gonna come back for an extended period of time i don't know i mean i've been seeing like end of august as a possibility but that doesn't feel actually possible that, i think end of august feels super possible it was a three to five week timeline that's the oblique and lindor's gonna try and rush because that's the guy he is and the team very clearly needs him no injury is more likely to reoccur than a soft tissue. And of all the soft tissues, it's just a hamstring and oblique. Those go like that, and you can't get them back. We've seen that again. Like you said, Jeff McNeil still can't run. And he pulled the hamstring in the beginning of June when we played the Rays. It feels like three seasons ago. Feels like so long ago. And you just like go through every spot in the lineup. It just feels like there's something to say. Like McCann is back to being old James McCann, which is like how he was with the Tigers. He's all right defensively, still has the McCannon, but he's a below league average hitter. And that's what we're seeing this year out of him. But he's our eight guy, so I'm not going to go too crazy. It sucks that we spent the money on him. You were right, James. I'll give you that. Thank you. But he's our eight hitter, so I'm not going to blame him for all the, the problems of this offense because we can look around at third base. J.D. Davis has hurt his hand and forgot how to hit all of a sudden. He's swinging through <laughs> fastballs like he's swinging under in underwater in a pool. I mean, his swing is so slow right now. He looks lost, and he doesn't play great defense. Jonathan VR can't be playing shortstop every day. He's no. been fine for us, but fine's not good when you're trying to win a division. McNeil's heated up. Alonzo's still solid. Then you go to the outfield. Dom Smith, really been disappointing. Even though he's playing better, I guess, he's just like not doing anything that makes him, again, good. He's fine right now. That's probably where he stays. Michael Conforto stinks. Nimmo's awesome. So we got three guys 
of our eight hitters that are actually doing something positive. We basically have five outs everywhere else, every single game. It's so tough. And then when you put in Pilar, you put in Tomas Nito, you put in these backups, it makes it even worse. I mean, McNeil and Nimmo sat a game this series. Yeah. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. It can't happen. And I think that's a good transition to where a lot of the blame has come for this stretch, and it's on Luis Rojas. And I I really don't think that he still, at this point, deserves the heat he's catching. I get at some point, you kind of want your manager to do some crazy shit, fire the team up, and stop being like, we know the group we have here is very good. Like, we're going to be good. Like, okay, you're going to be good. You're going to be good. You're going to be good. It's fucking August. You yeah. can't say that in August. Once the, once the trade deadline passes... You can no longer say, like, we're going to be good. Like, things are going to click. This is, we have a lot of games played. We've played more than 100 of them at this point, guys. This is what it is for now. And not going to shit on him, but I think his seat is hotter than it should be. Also with management, not just the fans. No, I think it's definitely hot right now. I don't think he should lose his job. I think the players have to play at some point. There's only so much that he can do. If you want to give him crap about his pitching decisions, who he's, who he's bringing into the game, bullpen management, or game time game decisions, that's fine. And I really think that's okay. But player performance, that's on the players. There's only so much that a manager can do. And if guys like Michael Conforto, who the front office was expecting to have a big year again, I think a lot more blame should be going on the front office for what's happening than Luis Rojas. Yeah, I think that's kind of been the point we've been driving at this entire show so far and some people have questioned those bullpen decisions a lot and some some of them are warranted he's Luis Ross has made questionable decisions as a manager but he's basically just crossed his 162nd game managing it's like he just finished his rookie year as a manager and specifically that decision with Edwin Diaz on Friday night got crushed but the guy hadn't pitched in a fucking week like he was on the paternity list like he had to get an inning and at least it was a close game it was a lock he was gonna give up a run I texted you the second that inning began I said Edwin Diaz giving up a run lock Pointing to the friggin' sky, Edwin. Stop yeah. pointing. You give up nukes. <laughs> a Terry Collins video bang today from the messed up Twitter. Yeah, I had been holding on to that for after this series when we got swept. Because after the first nice. game, I was ready to tweet it out. But I said, it's really going to bang if it comes out Sunday after we get swept and embarrassed and might even be in third place. People took it as if we want Terry Collins over Luis Rojas. Let's make this very clear. We don't. No. I appreciate Terry. I loved him. He was my favorite Mets manager that I've seen in my lifetime. A little too young for Bobby V. Bobby V is kind of of the same cloth, though. Yeah, so you're going to tell me Willie Randolph, Jerry Manuel, Art Howe, Terry Collins. That, those are the four you're choosing between? You have no yeah. shit. Yeah, of course <laughs> Terry, Terry Collins, Collins. was yeah, the yeah. best. No, of course. I mean, Willie Randolph actually probably was the best, but Terry Collins, yes. Yeah. But anyway, moral of the story is... People see that video of Terry Collins, which is awesome. It's fantastic. He calls the players out and basically says, if you are if you don't want to be here, we got guys who do. And I feel like that's very true to this team. I don't know if anybody's dogging it. I don't get that sense. No shot. I don't get the sense that they're not trying to win. I don't get the sense that these guys have become complacent. But what I do think rings true from what Terry Collins said back in 2016 when they got smacked by a bad Diamondbacks team, 9 nothing, is that these guys are professionals. They know what they're doing. But at some point, they have to perform. They have to make an adjustment. They have to be able to be better than how they're playing because if they're not, they're going to have to find somebody else. And maybe these guys are a little too comfortable. Maybe. I think that is the issue here, that we've allowed some of the players on this team to become way too comfortable in their roles. That was the point I was trying to drive home with Dom Smith before. You can reference that with um, uh, with Jeff McNeil a little bit too, Michael Conforto especially. I just wished we would have had more competent baseball players here who could actually have challenged for starting spots. Like Kevin Pillar and Jonathan Villar were great depth, but their roles were very clear. If everyone's healthy, you guys are bench players. And they know that because they are bench players at this point in their respective careers. Jonathan Villar and Kevin Pillar are not breaking down walls here. They're not they're not they're not, they're not, they're not hoisting trophies. No. Unless they're like literally the last player on a roster. You see the Dodgers with a guy like AJ Pollock, who when they signed him two years ago, people were like, what are the Dodgers thinking? Where is he going to play? Reality check, these guys are always going to play because every single person gets hurt in the course of Major League Baseball season. That is just what happens. No one plays 162 games. Cody Bellinger just might forget how to hit. And if that happens, AJ Pollock is going to is gonna be the MVP of our team because he fucking is. And Look at Chris Taylor. He's so good. Sick. He's awesome. He's an all-star. He was picked up for scraps like three, four, five, six years ago, whatever it was. Max Muncie, too. The, the whole Dodgers team is like that. Every single guy in the Giants was literally picked up for scraps. There's not one hitter in that team that the casual baseball fan would be like, good. No, no shot. And you just have to bring more people in to ignite competition. Like, I get we have chemistry and everyone's such good friends and we like each other a fuck ton, but why the fuck don't we have more good baseball players in this team? 
We just should. And a lot of them are on the IL, I get that, but when everyone was completely healthy, like, there's still not enough fire and, like, drive and life for these guys to really fucking get after each other. Like, what the Braves did at the trade deadline. Bringing guys like Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall, am I missing a bat? Jock Peterson, also Eddie Rosario. Jock Peterson trade deadline. Like, just guys like that, who you know, those aren't superstars, but they're starting caliber players. They have a much higher ceiling and floor than... Jonathan, well, then Kevin Pillar especially, or just get guys in. Don't worry about fucking playing time. If someone fails, that's on them. They have to play better to get their fucking roll back. Like, that's how this works. This is sports. This is not, we're not children here. Let's go. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. I think the guys, and this is nothing that you can prove, and it's, I don't even think, like, really their fault, but, like, it just feels like this team is a little too relaxed for how bad the season has been. I want, and we're going to talk about Pete's comment here now. Pete had a pretty awful comment after the game. Awful. It was super tone deaf in that it's not actually bad. Like, he didn't actually say anything bad. Uh, Like, Pete, we love you, man, but that was so fucking stupid what he said here. And I'm going to read it out because I think it deserves it. And you'll just understand, you have to understand, like, what's going on with the season a little bit more. You got to read the room a little bit more. Someone's got to show a little life. And this was too much of that everything's going to be okay, that Gary V bullshit. We keep trying our best, and we're going to do okay. I fucking hate Gary V. That guy sucks. Oh, he's the fucking worst. He Gary is v. the v. worst. V. Yeah, he's intolerable. He's so fucking rich, but he's intolerable. He's painful on social media, and I hate that we have, like, this constituency of, like, people our age, like, our demographic, who, like, this is how you gotta live your life. Grind. Believe. You might struggle for the next 30 years, but if you make it to where you want to make it, you did it. Shut the fuck up. Let people enjoy themselves and be happy. Just be realistic here. Yes. So, here's what Pete Alonzo said. Mets fans, believe in us, and don't just believe. No. Dot, dot. Like, that's just so fucking corny. That's the corniest thing ever. Pete is so corny. I know. But that's so corny, Pete. And then, that, this is just a speed bump and a challenge. I understand that it's frustrating. It's frustrating for us. Know that we've got this. I I wish I could believe it, Pete. I really do. I really do. But like you said earlier in this episode, it's August. This Mm -hmm. is like the shit I used to tell my parents when I was in college. And they're like, how are your grades? I'm like, ah, I'm like hanging around like a D right now in a class. And they're like, are you going to improve it? I go, it's going to get better. You got to believe in me. My (laughs) grades ended up as a C. It was a C. I would get a C in the class. I didn't fail, but I didn't do well. This feels like just kind of like a bullshit cop out of like, hey man, like everything's okay. It's going to be fine. You just got to believe you can do it and we can. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I feel like this was a moment where Pete really could have stepped up and given a what we're doing is fucking terrible. We're playing like shit and it's got to change. And I don't think that that causes turmoil. I think some guys maybe need to hear that. I think if Pete Alonso steps up in front of the media and just starts dropping F-bombs, gives a profanity-latent speech about how fucking bad it's been, while it probably doesn't really do anything. These are adult men. This is their job. It's an everyday grind. But this believe in us bullshit is just such a bad look to the fans, to the team. I don't know, man. It's just so lame. It's lame. Also, outwardly, it's really lame. People like the Braves and Phillies see the Mets say, it's a bump in the road. We know we got the guys in here. Like, fucking losers are you kidding me how could you say that right now you just you just dropped from first to third place in division over a one week span like less over a two-day span realistically and more so than that someone has to break something well yeah literally we need someone to go into this dugout like um billy bean did in Moneyball. take a bat and smash it over a bench something has to be thrown yelled there needs to be some type of understanding that things are not going well and maybe the Mets are just putting this on for the media because they know that they're the Mets and the media will do anything to sue them maybe behind closed doors shit like this is happening but it's, someone has to just do something reckless as crazy as that is to say out loud I don't know like to me this team has this year specifically like you look at the turning points of the season and there's been big moments Jose Alvarado trying to start a fight with Dom Smith the team stepped up Francisco Lindor McNeil fight the team stepped up Maybe a comment today would have helped fire something up. I don't know. Because it's just like, there's no juice. Dead as a doornail. There's no no pulse in this team right now. And while that might be naive to say outside looking in, again, we don't know what's actually happening. No. From what it appears and from all the information that we know, it feels like everyone's just like, it's okay. We'll figure it out. It's fucking August. There's no figuring it out anymore. You had, what, eight weeks where you had a lead in first place and you lost it? It It's like 90 days. Yeah. And you could have pulled away so far from these teams this season could be over Mm -hmm. and instead the Mets are possibly going to be a third place team by the end of the week no they're third place team this second right now awful even worse (laughs) and what else is this team just can't fucking do it can't can't. do it and there's got to be something that changes the the hitting approach is fundamentally broken whatever it is 
is fundamentally broken, something's not working, I would love someone to change it up, try something new, because it can't get much worse, right? This is the rock bottom, Anthony DeComo. I really, really hope this is rock bottom. If we have a bad series against the Nationals, messed up 40 is going to be a, a disaster. I was talking to my dad about going to games. I'm like, well, I'm not going to a game anytime soon. I'm like, I just, I'm not paying money. I'm not spending my time to go to Queens, even though I'm in Queens, but to go to the game, ride the train, spend $60, buy hot dog and food when you're going to play like absolute dog shit. I just got better things to do. I can watch the game from home for free. I've had this Dodgers ticket for weeks. I am so dreading next Friday night at City Field. It's going to be a miserable experience. And listen, Potentially. I think that this team can turn it around. I hope, I, be, I don't want to say I believe because I don't, but I think they can. We know that there is a possibility it could happen. It just doesn't feel very good right now. If you're looking at a graph, it's like 95% the season's over. Still a little chance because the Phillies and Braves suck. They still stink. They're not, not good teams. Good. They're fine. If we weren't in the NL East, season's dead. But the fact of the matter is yeah, that yeah. we're in this division yeah, yeah. where no one wants to win it right now. It's okay. It took us playing our worst baseball and the Phillies being the hottest team in baseball to lose first place. And every game was still competitive. They were close. And that's, I think, what also made it really frustrating. I think this is like a thing for Mets fans, too. It's the first time in a really long time we've kind of had a target on our backs that we were the team that was supposed to be doing stuff. And then we choked it again. We like being the underdogs. So when we're on top and we fall, it's a much bigger fall than when you're an underdog who underperforms. Being the team that's in first and not really capitalizing sucks as a fan base. But if you're that second place team that just kind of sits in second place and can't get to first all year, you go, ah, damn, close. A few things here or there. Yeah. A big part of this, too, that we haven't really mentioned. We were talking about Francisco Lindor being out, but Jacob DeGrom not playing is it's a really, really big deal. Like The two best players in the team are not there. And now the question is going to become whether you even get Jacob DeGrom back or not. Because if he pitches zero innings the rest of the season, I don't think we have any chance to make the playoffs. If he comes back and gives us a strong month, like that's how we could do it. But I feel like we're just weeks away from him just being shut down. Yeah, I feel like there's just not a lot of uh, lot of hope right now over there. And I kind of don't blame the Mets if they shut down DeGrom. He's he's the best arm in baseball for a reason. If this season continues the way it has, this next stretch is going to be crazy. The Mets are out of it. DeGrom doesn't pitch. There's no chance. There's a chance the Mets are completely out of it very soon. And if that's the case, there's just no reason for it. It'd be a waste, waste of everyone's time. Now... You guys have all heard our pulse on what's going on with the New York Mets. We wanted to hear a little bit from you guys, so we put out a tweet on the Mets up Twitter. Tweet us questions, comments, concerns, anything you got. We'll be reading the replies on the next episode of the podcast. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to go through what some people are saying. We want to get a little bit of a pulse of what the fans are thinking, what they're saying. Let's see what they got. So first up, we do have a very, very loyal listener, Nick Kowal, I think it is. He's always replying to stuff. Big shout out to you, Nick. Is there a way that you can see this team turn around? Would Thor be able to give this team some juice? Also, Pete has been struggling big time since he shaved the goatee, which you talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Not sure. I read, how, I read Nick's comment, yeah. Yeah, not sure how well that statement holds up, but it seems significant. How does this team clutch up? And honestly, I don't know how this team clutches up. I, re- no I We're trying to figure it out, and it's really tough. Thor coming back will help. Will he be the guy to give some juice? I don't know. He's a guy who plays with a little chip on his shoulder, and it feels like the Mets are lacking that chip on their shoulder right now outside of Stroman. Maybe. Is he even going to come back, though? Like, very similar to the DeGrom discussion. Like, I haven't heard anything about Noah Syndergaard in the last few weeks. Like, is he, he's not pitching for sure. I think he's just throwing. But we're getting to that point now in August where it's like push comes to shove. Something has to happen or just doesn't have to happen. Chris Sale has been in rehab games for three weeks already. and He's still not back with the Red Sox. It takes a lot of time to build up, especially a guy who throws as hard as Syndergaard. And someone who is as talented as Noah Syndergaard. He's not going to come back if he's less than himself. It won't even help the team very much. So I just really don't know. All right. This one comes from at Big Blake season. Uh, Joust for GM, which this is also a guy who's been always interacting with their stuff. So shout out to him. Uh, Do you think the Mets will slash should resign Javier Baez? That is a question. That is a question. I think for the right price, like I would not give Javier Baez anything close to like $20 million a year. I would give Javi like something similar to what Marcus Semien got this year, like one for 15. You're not playing shortstop. If you can hit, you can hit, and we'll do something bigger. But to give Javier Baez more than like two for 30 or like three for 42, I think would be complete malpractice. Yeah, and I think it's going to also very much depend on how J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil end the season because those guys are obviously dirt cheap, even though they mm-hmm. should have arbitration coming up, I believe. But they're still yeah. going to be extremely cheap. So there's really not a need to pay Javier Baez, who like is in reality not that much better than those guys, even though we know that his ceiling is way higher. It's just that money could be spent elsewhere. So right now I'm on the boat of no, I don't think that we will or should, should, 
But again, if he wants to play for free, I'm interested. So Yeah, and extend the qualifying offer and someone else signs him. You get the first round pick. I think that's a must. And signing him for just a one year eighteen million isn't that bad. You're not really on the hook for anything. I just don't really know how good Javier Baez truly can be. Like if he's just a guy who's gonna hit thirty homers, play pretty good defense at places not shortstop and strike out two hundred and fifty times. Was that three three win player? Like that's good, but we're not get back into the brink truck for Javi Baez. We're not locking up Javi Baez for ten years. Like, no. If you think that that's something that should happen, you probably just take a very much closer look at Javier Baez's real talent rather than how he's perceived. I feel like in the media. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I'm not in on that trade. Now I think this is a good one. This will also be the last one to read out here because James kind of set up the episode around what a lot of you guys were talking about here. But this is one that we didn't touch. You think any notable prospects will make their debut this season? And I had a hot take to you on text. And yeah. I said, if Javier Baez is out for an extended period of time, Lindor, who knows when he plays, fuck it. Let's play Ronnie Mauricio at shortstop, see what he's got. And yeah. I know you hate it. I know you hate it. And that's why Disgusting. it's a hot take. But God, I'd rather see him play terribly than Wilfredo Tovar. Who are the Mets going to play at shortstop? Jonathan Villar, Luis Carpio, and probably Wilfredo Tovar. It's bad. I know that's bad, but I don't care about screwing up Wilfredo Tovar's week. Like, Ronnie Mauricio has just got to get hot in Brooklyn. He's not even a league average uh, league average hitter right now with the Brooklyn Cyclones. He's showing signs of his immense potential, and he's the, uh, he's a recurring guest on the pod now, friend of the program. <laughs> but to bring up Ronnie Mauricio, the 19- or 20-year-old, to play shortstop for the Mets right now is an absolutely balls-crazy take. All right. the guys, The guys who could debut for the Mets this year— as crazy as this sounds, I think that there might be a Brett Beatty sighting in Queens in September. I was going to say that. I was going to say I think Beatty and Vientos could possibly, possibly. have Beatty an probably more so just because his approach is better than Vientos. I think we're also probably going to see a guy, Jose Budo, who I've talked about here and there in the show. He's been ripping through double A. I think he had six shadow innings with nine or ten strikeouts today on Sunday. He's the guy you'll see soon. You'll probably also see Josh Walker, who just got the bump from Syracuse a few weeks ago. But you're not going to see Ronnie Mauricio or Francisco Alvarez. I think that's what a lot of the Mets fans in our mentions were uh, pining for. I just, I, I can't see it happening. <laughs> I would love to see it happen. I would love to I see it. I would not. The Mets have called up some guys too quickly in the past. Last thing's millage comes to mind. Yeah. And I don't really want to screw up anybody's development here. Let these guys stay in their role, keep everything nice and chill, and just keep moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens here going forward with this New York Mets team because the roster's not looking good. Guys aren't playing. And as much as, you know, Mets fans, you might like Michael Conforto, you might like Dom Smith. If we can find someone to play better, they're taking those spots. It's just, that's what it has to be now. These guys have to re-earn their playing time in my eyes. Nobody besides Pete, Lindor, McNeil, Nimmo. I forgot Nimmo too, of course. Those four guys, I think, probably have their positions pretty pretty well there. McNeil's a little bit on the outskirts, but only because of the injury stuff. So that's, mm-hmm. that's weird. But those guys, they're here. The rest of the team, it's up in the air. You got to prove yourself. And these these next two months, if you don't play well, we got to start thinking about who's going to be your replacement. And we just got to be more willing to sign proven commodities in free agency or just acquire more bats who we can count on for more things. Like, I'm, I'm going to go back to Tom Smith. I don't pick it on him a lot. And he has been hot since the second half started. But you can't just be a league average bat while playing the worst defense in baseball your position it can't it can't happen that's something that other players would be reams for doing and for some reason dom smith is still champion i still like dom smith a lot he's clearly a big member of this team he's developed he's a home he's homegrown yeah he's a homegrown guy i've lost that word for a second halfway through it's just a slow day but just he can't just be like we we're gonna deal with dom smith for the be all and end all whatever happens happens if you want to win a world series you need more players you gotta be like the dodgers you gotta just sign aj pollock you have to be okay with gavin Lux going back to the bench and like upgrading because you are here to win a world series i just can't watch these average players be championed as if they're like superstars yeah no it's it's tough to see as a mets fan super frustrating frustrating week frustrating series it is not great in new york mets land we got a few things to mention here before we do wrap up the episode of the podcast. Big shout out to, who was it that uh, saw the sticker? You got the name. I know that. Robert Russo 05 on Instagram. It was, it was a month ago, July 11th, but he found one of our stickers in City Field. So good looks, Robert. Good you looks. Get the shout out. Anyone out there who finds one of our stickers in City Field, and we've been putting them up a lot. And they Allegedly. Have, allegedly. There's allegedly a lot of messed up stickers around City Field. And allegedly, they remain up. They've been there for a little while now. So if you guys find any of our possible stickers, send us a DM, Twitter, Instagram. We'll shout you out in the pod. Yeah, we'll give you a shout out. So shout out to him. Also, shout out to our boy Randy, who mm-hmm. works for the Brooklyn Cyclones. He's mm-hmm. a big Met fan, and he was we were talking with him when we were doing the Mauricio and Alvarez and Jalen Palmer interviews. Really mm-hmm. nice guy. So shout out to him. He's our boy. Yeah, super nice guy. Love Randy. Yes. And then also shout out to Jen Maybe. 
Now, it's not really for her. It's more for her seven-year-old son who created an MLB quiz for us to take on the pod. It's only two questions. So let's just go ahead and do it for him. Shout out to you. You took the time to make something for us. Let's do it. Question one, James. He plays in the infield in the National League, has played for three different teams. He's got Manny Machado, Albert Pujols, Freddie Freeman, Jose Abreu. Hmm. Hmm. It's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Wow. You see, Albert Pujols plays on the infield for National League teams, right? Yeah. Freddie Freeman does too. Jose Abreu is American League, so we can knock him out. And then we have Manny Machado, who has also played infield for a National League team. But truthfully, there's two answers, two right answers to this question. Yeah, it's, it's Albert Pujols and Manny Machado. So yeah. Which one are you clicking? I'll click the other one. I feel like it's probably going to be Machado, if I had to guess. I'll click Pujols, we'll see. All right, uh, the answer is, oh, you have to create an account. Uh, well, That's unfortunate. I'm not doing that. Sorry, bud. All right, yeah. moving on to question number two. This player has played for the Diamondbacks and Dodgers. We got Nelson Cruz, Zach Rex, Bryce Harper, and the answer, who you've been talking a lot about this episode, ding, 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 AJ Pollock. That was serendipitous. Oh, my God. What are the chances that this quiz was sent to us like three weeks ago, but we're just busy with the trade deadline, and we promised this uh, loyal listener that we'd give him a shout. And he closes out with AJ Pollock, one of the main themes of this show. The AJ Pollock episode of the Messed Up Podcast. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up there. Everything came full circle. The quiz mm-hmm. at the end, AJ Pollock, who was also possibly a New York Mets free agent candidate last year. Regardless, uh, let's just say it was bad. Negative. Bad. Let's put yep. this behind us. Let's hope mm-hmm. that we play the Washington Nationals. We didn't even preview it, but honestly. I'll preview it right now. We got Carrasco, Stroman, and Rich Hill against Paolo Espino, Joe Ross, and Eric Fetty. Paolo Espino and Joe Ross gave us fits the last time we played this team, which is just an absolutely ridiculous statement to say. And Eric Fetty, as we've known for years, is dreadful at pitching. <laughs> <laughs> so let's please score some runs, please, against the Nationals. Starting off this homestand that just has the potential to completely rip my heart out more so than it is already. Yeah, no. Uh, if we can't score against those guys, it's 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 a like I think this is just gonna be the title of the podcast on YouTube until it's fixed. The Mets are in big trouble. The Mets are in really big trouble. The Mets are in really, really big trouble. That's what you're going to be seeing in the next episode of the Mets struggle. It's just, if you can't hit those guys, you can't play Major League Baseball. You don't deserve to be on a roster. This off day, I think, is going to help this team because we just need, like, a mental break right now. But if they go out on Tuesday night and get shut down by Paolo Espino, I'm going to have no words left. It will be miserable. But I'm going to try and keep it positive here. Let's try and win the series from the Nationals. Let's do it. Win it. Chip away. Season's not over yet. You got to believe. We know we can do it. No, I'm not, not going to do that Pete Alonzo stuff. I'm not going to do it. But Form just balls. fucking no, win. Sucks. Fucking yeah, win. Win a, win a fucking game. Wake the fuck up <laughs> and win. Someone's got to break a bat, throw a chair. I don't know. Something crazy has to happen. Yeah, some somebody's got to get fired up there because we are dead. And if we continue to have this energy and play like this, oh, the season's real dead. So if the Mets want to play in October, it's time to step up. If they don't, we'll see you next year in March. But... I hope that's not the case. First NFL Sunday, five weeks away. Yeah, that's that's bad <laughs> when we start bringing up football when it's it's coming up here. It's almost a Washington football team season for me. Yeah, broke, out the, broke out the Ohio State hat for the pod. O-H-I-O. Hey. hey. All right, so that's it, guys. Episode number 39 of the Mets Up Podcast. Make sure you follow James on Twitter, Jeter Had No Range, me, Giraffe Neck Mark. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Mets Up, the YouTube channel if you want to watch video content, Mets Up Podcast. Next episode, we're going to be dropping one of the first interviews. It's going to be with Jalen Palmer. So keep an eye out for that, as well as the Nationals recap from what happens there. So we're going to wrap it up for today's episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening, watching, whatever you're doing. And we'll see you on episode number 40 of the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out. See you guys next time.